Everyday Theology. We are a podcast of ordinary pastors uh, connecting theological truths to everyday believers. My name is Ben Campbell, and I am here with Dustin Walters. Dustin, how you doing, man? Good morning, Ben. I'm doing well. It may not be morning when our listeners hear this, but it's morning when we're recording. So I'm glad to be here. And uh, again, I'm just so excited to be back for another season of Everyday Theology. Somehow or another, uh, you keep uh, inviting me and Matt to help you out here, and so I'm I'm grateful for that. We'll be better than doing it alone. I mean, <laughs> so I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're still co-hosting or whatever you call this, hosting, co-hosting, conversating, discussing, whatever. But uh, we've got uh, some good news to share with our listeners uh, about the upcoming podcasts that are going to be coming throughout the rest, probably at least the next couple of months. Um, but do you want to kind of explain what we're going to do for the next couple of months on the podcast, Dustin? Absolutely. So over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be introducing a, a series entitled These Things We Believe. These Things We Believe. And what we're actually going to be doing is go through the Free Will Baptist Catechism. Catechism. And so some people may be wondering what in the world is a catechism. I'll just simply start out, Ben, by providing a definition of what catechism is. Um, but for the next few weeks, we're going to be going through these kind of core beliefs uh, that we have as Free Will Baptist. But I think a lot of our listeners will find most of our listeners are affiliated with Free Will Baptist in some way. Um, but if you're listening today and, and maybe you're Southern Baptist or maybe even you're Presbyterian, I don't know if we have any of you out there. But if you are, uh, we're glad that you're listening to us, Arminians, <laughs> talk about theology and everyday life. Um Really, a lot of the things in the Free Baptist Catechism are going to be consistent with the broader Reformed tradition, which comes as a surprise to many people. But anyway, um, I want to start, Ben, by kind of giving a definition from Paul Harrison and, and tell our listeners what a catechism is. Paul Harrison writes in the Free Baptist Catechism, A catechism is simply a question-and-answer document used as a tool to teach truths about God and the Bible a tool used to teach truths about God and the Bible. And Dr. Harrison goes on to say, this tool has a long history in the church, and many Christian parents have used catechisms to instruct their children in the way of faith. Yeah, so basically what this is, is a catechism is a form of teaching that has been used in the church, specific, a lot of more in Christian past, but... Uh, what it is, is it's a form of question and answer. And so what we're going to be doing throughout the next few months, um, alongside our Four Lindsayan Fridays, of course, is that we're going to be just taking the catechism question by question and sort of elaborating on the questions a little bit more and uh, sort of helping our um, listeners understand, you know, the different doctrinal ins and outs of uh, the catechism and and the theology of, of free will Baptists. And so I think this is going to be good. I hope this is going to be helpful, and um, hopefully we can do this to where people um, are helped and bettered spiritually by this as well. Well, today we actually are going to begin with that first question. And so I think it might be helpful, Ben, for... Um, for us to read the question and the answer, um, and then we can follow up with that from there. So question number one, who is God? Answer, 
God is a spirit who is the creator of everything. He's perfectly good and has all power. God is a personal being with the ability to think, feel, speak, and act. Scripture references, John 4, 24. We're familiar with that passage where Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well. Um, Genesis 1, 1. Uh, we believe with Colossians chapter 1 as well that Jesus though not in the form of the incarnation, had a role in creation because God is one. Uh, so God is a spirit who's a creator of everything, Genesis 1-1. He is perfectly good, Psalm 34, has all power, Isaiah 40, uh, and he's a personal being who can think, feel, speak, and act, which I think is a really a Forlinsian distinctive that Dr. Harrison adds to that first answer. So let, let's just think for just a minute before we get into the answer per se. Why is it important to study the doctrine of God before all the other doctrines, say the doctrine of scripture or the doctrine of the church or whatever? Everyone has a place that they start. There are many good places that we could start. Um, but when we begin to think about the doctrine of God, this is what theologians call theology proper, theology proper. And Ben, the truth of the matter is, if we misunderstand who God is as revealed in Scripture through His special revelation, everything else falls apart. Um, how we understand sin and human nature and the church, all of those categories are connected to what we believe about the doctrine of God. And as we're sharing this, I, I just... I'm so thankful for Christian apologists throughout the centuries of the Christian past uh, who have faithfully defended uh, what we believe. But it is important to have a starting place. And so uh, if you want to get philosophical, um, the a priori commitment here is that there is a God who is personal, who has revealed himself in Scripture. Yeah, I, I think that's totally true. And not only that, again, and you, you kind of hinted at this and, and and just had a little bit of a mention here, but I think it's really important to mention that when we get our doctrine of God wrong, like all of our other doctrines are going to be wrong as well. You know, there's mm -hmm. something that's going to be um that's going to be incorrect. If if you get the doctrine of God wrong, you're gonna get the doctrine of scripture wrong. Because the doctrine of Scripture hinges on whether or not God has revealed himself. You're going to get the doctrine of Christ wrong because if God is not a trinity or or if God is, you know, three different persons instead of one, you know, the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of Holy Spirit, the doctrine of salvation, you're going to get wrong. So it, it's it's crucial to start here when we talk about theological method and, and uh, just, you know, even just a systemized category of theology. So I think that's really important that to understand that, you know, when we, when we, we start here because uh, this is basically the vital doctrine for Christian belief and practice. Would you say yay or nay to that? Absolutely. Our mutual friend, Dr. Ryan Putman, um, he actually loves talking about theological prolegomena, which is first things. Big fancy word for theological first things. Um, and, and I was thinking about the ways in which the doctrine of God is so pivotal because uh, there's interpretive questions that we have to, to answer right off the bat, Ben. I mean, uh, if we do not look to the God who has revealed himself 
in creation and in scripture and in Jesus, more importantly, as the incarnate son, um, the way that we perceive all of reality is actually impacted either positively or negatively based on how we understand God. How do we, how do we reckon with cancer and leukemia in a, in a world where it's supposedly created by God? How right. do we understand this God that we are describing? You've probably had conversations, Ben, with unbelievers, as I have. Um, and sometimes they'll tell you things like, Ben, I appreciate what you're saying, but I can't believe in God because something, problem of evil. But a lot of times we actually would agree with them because we don't believe in the God that they're describing. So so it all comes back to how do you understand the triune God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's uh, let's look at this answer. Who is God? Well, there's basically uh, about four, maybe five, if you count the 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 last sentence of the answer. Four main attributes, but then that last sentence kind of is a a descriptive sentence about his personality. This episode is brought to you in part by the Welch Divinity School at Welch College. Through the Master of Divinity degree, Welch seeks to foster Christian scholarship and to provide leaders with graduate education in the classical theological disciplines and their integration with the practice of Christian ministry. If you would like to learn more about this degree in the new Divinity School at Welch, please visit welch.edu forward slash mdiv. As we go through this, by the way, I think it's very important for our listeners to recognize that the Free Baptist Catechism, you can view that. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But um, one thing I love about the Catechism has been is it's it's not just some theologian in an office, in an air-conditioned office in Nashville, writing up whatever he wants to write. There yeah. are scripture references. So as we go through this and as we read through these passages and we reference this, I want to encourage our listeners, if you're driving, don't do this, probably not safe. But if you're stationary and you're not moving in your car, look up these Bible passages. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. Let's go through this answer. That was a good aside, wasn't it? <laughs> so the first, uh, the first explanation of God, if you will, is that God is a spirit. And it mentions, uh, the Catechism mentions John 4, 24, uh, Jesus and his interaction with the woman at the well. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Um, can we talk about, Dustin, what it means for God to be a spirit? In his essence, trying to avoid big theology words here, the word that comes to mind is ontology. But in his essence, what he is, his essential properties, is that he is spirit. So that means... We can't see him. We can't. We can't see him the same way that I can see you on the screen. Mm-hmm. However, we can see him as he has revealed himself um, as spirit. The reason why the scripture says God is spirit. Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at the well, John four, and she's asking him these theological questions really trying to miss the point of of the of what he's trying to do. He's trying to go deeper. He's trying to look into her heart. He's trying to figure out, which he already knew because he's God, 
<laughs> this woman was trying to find satisfaction, Ben, as we all do. And so she begins this theological debate with him, and she begins to ask, uh, well, where should we worship? Is it supposed to be here, or is it supposed to be over there? So in that context, when Jesus said God is spirit, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, what he's getting at is this is messianic. Old Testament Jewish believers, the center of, of activity was the holy city. With the arrival of Messiah, Ben, the inaugurated kingdom, the fact that that God has inaugurated the Messiah's reign and rule on the earth, that means that you and I can worship. You can go and worship with your church family in Arkansas. I can worship with my church family in Tennessee or Indiana or wherever I am because God's spirit is the big word everywhere present, omnipresent. So God is spirit. What, what do you think about this, Ben? When, when Jesus replied to the woman at the well and he said that God is spirit, I think that what he's getting at there is that he is not limited in the same way that humans are naturally limited by virtue of being human. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but I think so. Yeah. Uh, but, but basically what we're saying, another big theology word, $20 word is that God is incorporeal. Um, the word incorporeal means that he does not have a body. Um, so when the Bible talks about, um, God's arms, um, or when the Bible talks about God's eyes or his hand, um, it's not actually speaking of God's literal hand. Those are what we call anthropomorphisms. And basically... Ascribing that, human attributes to God. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's ascribing a human attribute to God, or it's talking about God in human terms. That way we can understand it. Um, now, uh, we have to be careful here, because to say God is spirit and to say that God has no eyes... Sometimes people can misunderstand and say, well, that means that God cannot see, and that's not true. Um, so just a shameless plug, Dr. Pickerelli, Robert Pickerelli comes out, has come out with a new book called God in Eternity and Time, and he explains a really good philosophical viewpoint to how uh, God works in both eternity and time, and how though God doesn't actually have eyes, he does see things. And so uh, I, I would recommend pick up his book and uh, read those first couple introductory chapters because he can explain that a lot better than we can. So in essence, Ben, God is spirit. And what that means is, number one, he's totally unlike us. Uh, number two, it means that um, whatever we might think of God, we have to recognize that our human language is is inadequate to describe him in his true essence but he's also creator right he is so we think of genesis 1 uh you said you mentioned colossians 1 uh with with jesus he is before all things and in him all things hold together right um but i, I actually thought of john 1 as well in the beginning was the word and I thought this was important to help us understand about theology proper, about God the Father. It's John records that the Word was with God. Now, he also records that the Word was God, but he records that the Word was also with God. 
So um, in other words, the the Trinity, now this is a little bit of an aside, but uh, God, we believe with you know Christian history that God exists as Trinity, that is one being existing uh, in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, but the Trinity was all present at creation. So same essence, same will, same attributes, same character, um, but different persons. And so uh, because God is the creator of all things, this means that, of course, he is in control of all things. He's all sovereign and he's all powerful. And um, But it also means that he is the sustainer of life. Ben, you mentioned that passage in John 1. I was very curious about the original language here. Um, it's very fascinating that you've got in beginning was the word and the word was um, pros, ton, theon, kai, theos, hain, halagos. So how do you interpret the pros? And, and many translators would say with, as you, as you, uh, indicated there. So anyway, that's a nerdy sidebar, <laughs> but I, I was just, because I was curious because, you know, that Greek word that has the S Y N, uh, like Sunet or Gitsomai working together with, I was, I was curious about which one it was, but it's not S Y N it's pros. So yep. anyway, being that, uh, John one explains to us that there is Trinity involved in creation it also explains to us that there that all three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation. So he's a spirit. God is a spirit. He is a creator or the creator. Maybe we should say that definitive article. Um, at third, he is perfectly good. Tell us what we mean when we say that God is perfectly good. Everything God does is just and right. And even when we don't understand it, Ben, uh, we affirm the goodness of God. Sometimes we we affirm that as we look back on the story of Christianity, the story of God's people in the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament, the story of the early church. Because let's face it, we all have hard days. And if you, some of our listeners are always giving us feedback um, about how do we connect this to people in their real lives. Uh, the fact that God is perfectly good uh, is an encouragement to us that he's not going to let us down, that he's always going to follow through, that he's going to keep his promises. There's so many implications. The scripture says it best, Ben. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Um, we all know the popular, I say we all do, maybe somebody hasn't heard it, but there's a song right now that's really popular in Christian contemporary worship, uh, which is uh, Goodness of God. And I actually enjoy that song, minus the 17 bridges and tags. But um, I do enjoy I do enjoy it, Ben, because uh, uh, we have hard days. And not only, not only is the fact that God is perfectly good, uh, it's actually kind of a warning for us to pursue holiness and recognize where we fall short and how we need Christ on our behalf, his righteousness. But the fact that he's perfectly good, we need that. That meets the needs of the total personality. 
Um, whereas in, in other worldviews, last podcast, we talked about testing worldviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the things where Christianity actually shines bright is that we have a God who is perfectly good. Um, in Islam, for example, that attribute is different. It's described differently. And, and um, the people are left with really no assurance in Islam or Judaism, uh, any Buddhism, Hinduism, any, any other worldview other than biblical Christianity, which I know is a strong statement to make. How can you say that you're right and they're wrong and postmodernism and all that? But when you think about the goodness of God, Ben, I think about God's goodness, even with one of your sons, you know, having a Dexcom monitor, he's not any less good. And I'm so sad that, that your son has to deal with this his whole life. But like, as we affirm the goodness of God, uh, it moves us to worship him. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I, I, I just thought while you were saying all that, you know, just the, the gospel itself, you know, just bleeds with the goodness of God. Um, you know, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The only way that we're able to take refuge in a good God is through the finished work of Christ. Mm. And so you, you can't, you just can't um, really reckon. I, I, I would say that you can't reckon with the goodness of God apart from the gospel, because otherwise what we're doing is we're, we're rationalizing our own goodness or quote goodness um, against God's goodness. And that that's just um, a tangled web. And so we need to understand that God is perfectly good. And that means that he is perfectly holy. And that means that if we want to bask in God's goodness, we must do it through uh, the person and work of Jesus. And that brings up one, one more thought before we move into the, the characteristic of his power um, the fact that God is good means that he's just. And so when, when we sin, there is a price to be paid for that. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that the price has been paid. We may still have to deal with consequences for our sin, Ben, but the imputed sufficient righteousness of Jesus, uh, what a treasure that is. Mm. Yep. So the last, uh, attribute, element, explanation, whatever you want to call it, of who is God, is that God is all-powerful. Isaiah 40 and verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. There's that anthropomorphism. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So let's. what, what does it mean that God is all-powerful, Dustin? There's nothing God can't do except that which he has already limited himself in doing by entrusting individuals with freedom of choice. Um, right. God cannot create a square circle. God cannot tell a lie because he's all good. But the fact that God is all powerful means that he created us. His So, so we think about this in terms of human cell structure. God could tell those protons, neutrons, and electrons to do whatever they want to do. 
but he is the same God who spoke the world in motion by his the words of his mouth. There's nothing he cannot do. Yeah. Uh, because because this is philosophy of religion talk right here. If there was something that God could not do, uh, Richard Swinburne, and I'm not saying I agree with everything he says here, but other philosophers of religion, William Lane Craig, Swinburne, they all have different takes. Four lines. The fact that God is all-powerful means that it is capital G God, that there is none higher or greater than him, Ben. Right. I think a good way to explain this, this is sort of how I explain it to people who who ask me, is that uh, God can do anything that he wills to do. So, but, you know, because you, you say that God can can do anything – well, he can't tell a lie, so actually he can't do anything. But that's because his his character limits what he can do in in regard to lying or whatever because of his because of his holiness. But what we mean is that anything that he wills to do, he can do and he will do. So let's talk about the last element. the the last uh, The last sentence here says that God is a personal being with the ability to think, feel, speak. And act. So Four Lines has uh, coined this term. He he coined the term, but he didn't create the idea um, of total personality. The, the the reality that God is a rational being who who thinks with his mind, feels with his heart, and acts with his will. Um, so, do you want to explain sort of how that relates to us, Dustin? Um. We are relational and rational because we're made in the image of our creator who is relational and rational, uh, rational and relational. And when you look at the God of the scriptures, there is no other so-called God who measures up to his rationality or his relationability, uh, his um, he is the he has the best interpersonal relationship skills. He has the best intelligence. My friend from New Orleans Seminary, who finished his doctoral dissertation in hermeneutics, um, wrote a book entitled "God in the Labyrinth." Basically, using some different theologies in the past, Ben, but uh, he he's writing about how God is the possessor of the divine encyclopedia. Wolfhart Pannenberg wrote about that. Um, here's the thing. God, God is the ultimate mass encyclopedia of everything that could be known. And yet he is also the God who draws close, who allowed his son to be born in a manger in a podunk town in the first century that nobody cared about. That is the God that we talk about. So as we think about the catechism, it's imperative that we start with God, the doctrine of God. Who is God? Yeah, and also uh, it, it, because God is personal, it means that He can be known, and that that is the most important thing for us um, is that God can be known. Because if we can't know God, then again, we we really can't know anything for certain about theology, can we? All of our other doctrine is just speculation. And so 
uh, I think this is important. So why is the doctrine of God the starting place? Well, I, I, I found a quote by Louis Burkhoff. I know he's a hardcore Calvinist, but uh, Burkhoff says, we start the study of theology with two presuppositions, namely one, that God exists, and two, that he has revealed himself in his divine word. Again, apart from uh, God, we have no theology. But apart from uh, the word, we can't know him. And that that is important. And I know we will get to that in the next uh, few questions about scripture and revelation. But I think that's important as we move forward and as we understand who God is, we have to understand that one, he, he does exist and he exists within himself as Trinity. But more importantly, he has revealed himself in the Bible so that he can be known. So uh, why must we have a correct view of God? Because God exists and the doctrine of God informs every other doctrine. Dustin, concluding thoughts. I'm just so um, grateful for scripture. I'm grateful for um, theology and I'm grateful for Christian history where uh, we in 2022 are not trying to figure out what we believe about God, but we're actually entrusted with a great tradition. So let us become good stewards of what we've been entrusted with, including the doctrine of God. Yep. And let us continue to know and fall in love with this God who has revealed himself uh, in his kindness to us through his word and ultimately through his son. Well, dear listeners, thanks for listening today and for indulging us in our Doctrine of God conversation. We hope this has not been so lofty that you can't understand it. We hope it's been applicable for you. Um, But hey, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform and share this with your friends. Share share this on social media um, so that we can uh, reach as many people with uh, this message. And we pray that these truths reach you and others for your good and for God's glory. 